Hi, Clatcher family. This is Christina. Quick announcement for all of you. First of all, we're very sorry if this podcast isn't our best. It's a little bit rocky. We also wanted to give you the message that unfortunately we had some sad news this week. Jason's father, Anthony Pistorino, passed away. Please keep his family and Jason in your thoughts and prayers. And because of this, we wanted to let you know we will not be having our Mr. Robot episode 3 coverage out as quick as we normally do. There might be some delay in that. We apologize. And we are also going to have our Patreon bonus cast, the regular bonus and the movie ones out a little later. So this is not normally how we do our scheduling. We do apologize for any delay and inconvenience, but we're going to get that to you as soon as we possibly can. Thank you so much for your understanding and for always being there for us. Hello, friend. Hello, friend. That's lame. Maybe I should give you a name. Maybe I should give you a name. What I'm about to tell you is top secret. The Coffee Clash Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, Mr. Robot Episode Review. I'm Jason. I'm Christina. And today we're reviewing Episode 3.1, Undo. IMDb gave this a 9.7, and we talked about how for the origin of the title, Undo is a command that erases the last change done to the document, reverting it to an older state. Also, the extension is .gz, which is a compressed file. That means it has been reduced in size, often to speed up the distribution and save storage space. So is that like a zip file? Is yeah. it the same thing? Same idea. Okay. What were your overall thoughts on 3.1? I liked the episode. It was very intense. There was a lot to think about. Sam Asmel did a lot of explaining and reintroducing a lot of major characters back into the fold. And like I said last episode, I was really interested in seeing Elliot get back to working and the day-to-day drudgery and the way he deals with it. And we'll go into that further later. That was some of my favorite parts of the episode. I really enjoyed the long, cold open. And it felt to me like season one Elliot. He was taking down wrongdoers again with the power of his hacking skills. Yeah, that was my favorite part of season one. All while struggling with his inner demons, but fighting against it, trying to do something about it by going to see his therapist and continuing to push in this day-to-day grind. We had quite a few music notes again. The first was New Sensation. This played while Elliot was explaining his plan to undo the hack by working for E-Corp. I think probably the most memorable one was Listen to Your Heart by Roxette. And that played in the SUV scene with Joanna and Mr. Sutherland. Really powerful and bizarre. Renegades by Ex-Ambassadors was playing in the background of Darlene and Elliot talking together at the pier. And One Week by the Bare Naked Ladies played before the end of the episode on the FBI agent's telephone. And like always, there was plenty of great sound effects in the background that really enhanced the feeling of each particular scene. And this cold open with Elliot and the song New Sensation, I thought that was perfect for many reasons. One, it was kind of an upbeat song, which is a little different for Mr. Robot. And it was the way he was feeling. He had a new sensation, at least in those scenes. 
and he had something to work towards, and he felt confident that he was fixing things. Well, it's a pretty depressing thought, right? What most of us go through, this daily routine that can become so mind-dumbing, and they needed to find a way to make it a little more upbeat, like you're saying, so they added humor to it with the emojis, they had the song in the background, I think they struck a good balance. Before we get into the synopsis, let's talk about a few fun facts. One is a fun fact, I guess you would say, for the CKC podcast. These Mr. Robot episodes we have been putting into our Game of Thrones channel. And after this week, we're no longer going to be putting it in that channel. So if you're listening to us from our Game of Thrones, just go in your podcast app and search Coffee Clatch Crew. You could either listen to it on the main channel, which has every single one of our podcasts. That's the white one. Just says Coffee Clatch Crew Podcast. Or the Mr. Robot one, which is a light blue cover art. Also, we got in the email, and I'm sure a lot of you guys got, from eCorp, a welcome message welcoming us to eCorp. And in that, they gave us that training video that Elliot had to watch and that they did show in the first few scenes of the episode. We watched it. It was pretty cool. I thought what was awesome was that they're giving you all this information and they're kind of brainwashing you. And the whole time she's saying Evil Corp. Everyone's saying Evil Corp. And right at the end, just like it did in the show, they start to say Evil Corp and it skips and it tells you E Corp. Almost as if officially now you have been brainwashed. And we loved this last season. This whole website is basically like you're on a PC computer. And in there they have a nameplate maker. And that's what we did. It's on our social networks right now. It says Coffee Clatch Crew, and, and we officially work there now. We have a E-Corp nameplate. And also on the desktop, they have HR complaint forms. And there was a few of them. But my favorite one was a complaint form against Samar Swalim. That's the guy that sits next to Elliot and was talking about girls the whole time. In his cubicle? Yeah. And it goes, okay, this is getting ridiculous. Below is a list of puerile terms I've actually heard Samar use in the office as crass euphemisms for intercourse. It's disgusting. I should not be subjected to this in my place of work. And then he has a list like bloodhound, poon, tang ain't just for astronauts. <laughs> that guy was really stupid. Uh, and they have a bunch of cool little things like that. Definitely take the time to go check that out. Moving into our synopsis, you were talking about Esmail giving it to us more straight, and he starts off the episode explaining the title to us with Elliot saying, you know when you fuck something up and you wish you had the power to hit undo? Like when you crash the entire economy, for instance. And he thinks he found a way to undo that. It's his first day as a security analyst at E Corp, and he's thinking maybe they are a necessary evil that just needs to be kept in check. So this goes back to the Who is Mr. Robot Dot com rant. Do we need to take down society first to rebuild it, or can it maybe be changed from within? And thus starts the daily routine. We see Elliot takes out a new wrapped button-down shirt. And it's just like Elliot to be using Trunk Club. You know, a man of the times, gets his clothes off the internet, shipped to him. Most geniuses, I don't know if you knew this, they never worry about what they're wearing. They never want to. They feel like it takes up mental space in the morning. Mm -hmm. If you have to figure it out. So they normally either have something laid out for them already or they just wear the same thing over and over again. Even if it's new shirts, it's the same shirt over and over again. Wasn't I just saying the other day, part of me wishes I could go back to as much as I hated it. I went to a Catholic high school and we had uniforms for school. We rebelled against it at the time, but now the amount of time and energy it takes me to get ready in the morning, I kind of wish it were that simple. 
But anyhow, he moves on to taking his Zoloft pill and joining the live action cartoon, as he calls it, on the subway, where we see everyone around him looking like emoji characters. He scans his ID card at E-Corp and rides the elevator up to work where he tries to fix the world he broke. So this is exactly what I was talking about, because this is when I really enjoy Elliot's character, because you get to see the psyche of him and the way he tries to numb himself out. In season one with the job he hated as a security analyst, the drugs he was taking, he was using to numb his brain to get high and kind of deal with the day-to-day mundane. And now he's using Zoloft. So basically, he's falling right back into the same patterns, and I don't think he even realizes it. And then that scene on the train, which we knew it was coming because it was in the trailers. I love that. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just really easily amused. But one thing I did realize is that whenever they went back to Elliot, his emoji had no effect. Yeah, it was just kind of flat looking. From the Zoloft, just numbed out. But you bring up a good point because does that mean this is worse falling back into his old patterns in certain ways i see it as being good he's able to get back out there interact with people he's doing some good or at least he thinks he is within the company we'll talk about that in a minute him uprooting the bad seeds so to speak it's not fixing the deeper hurts obviously we we knew it wouldn't and he finds that out for himself later even if he doesn't realize it i think we know that Elliot needs routine. Even in season two, he was happy to have a routine. He thought it was a routine that his mom was setting up for him, but it was actually being in jail. Yeah, and, and that was doing pretty well for him. I think he did say at one point that he needs the structure, that he thought he was intentionally doing that, going and putting himself in a place that was safe so he could have that in order to get rid of Mr. Robot. But we'll come back to that in a minute. For right now, obviously, he has goals for working within the company, what he wants to accomplish. He says he can't decrypt the data, and E-Corp has already delivered paper records from 17 of their 70 facilities to the warehouse in New York. So his new plan is to try to convince his immediate boss to go to the higher-ups and put forth this plan into digitizing their paper records in their local facilities instead of shipping them there. He starts with his first boss, William, the technology manager, who won't listen, so Elliot hacks his password and learns he was having the engineers install root kits on all eCorp phones so they could illegally sell consumer data. Now, I don't know if you remember, we talked a little about root kits. I think it was last season. These are a collection of software, usually malicious, designed to enable access to a computer or areas they would not otherwise be allowed while masking their existence. So they can get in and hide pretty much and perform these commands. Yeah, they pretty much act as if they're supposed to be there. So scans, antivirus scans, don't even notice them. Not to jump ahead, but is that similar to what Darlene is going to implant later? And that's why the computer doesn't pick up on it? No, she had a full mirroring software where you can see the whole screen, not just the data behind it. Oh, okay. Before you go any further, I loved this part of the show. We've been in the dark with everyone's plans for so long now. White Rose, Mr. Robot, Elliot last season. We had no idea what was going on. We just saw bits and pieces. But now we're back to Elliot explaining to us while he's doing it. And it was kind of like going for the ride and also watching him be kind of like the superhero. He explained to us how he wanted to talk to that boss, who would talk to his boss, who would talk to his boss, who she would talk to her boss. I thought that was really cool in the way they broke it down. 
And we kept pausing because we wanted to see what the passwords were. And William's password was a boy named Goo. Yeah, so when he finds this out, he tips off the FBI, gets William arrested, and gets a meeting with the next person. But he starts realizing at this point it's going to take time, so he needs to stall in a sense. He looks for a stopgap, as he calls it, by preventing the paper records from reaching New York. So he sends fake shipping requests to the e-shipping facilities, their management company, to keep the records where they are, while simultaneously making it look like they are still arriving in New York. Pretty smart, but you can definitely tell it's only a matter of time before they get privy to that. And it's really sort of relying on incompetence to a certain (sighs) degree as well, because we see the guys at the shipping facilities going over the record, and one guy's going, isn't this supposed to go out? And the other guy's like, I don't know, it's not going anywhere. (laughs) So it's like, how long can that really hold up? Yeah, I do what's on the paper. This is something we've been saying for a whole season now. It doesn't make sense why E-Corp, this huge conglomerate who's already been hacked, is thinking that bringing paper to one building is safe enough. And Elliot, this is exactly what Elliot's saying. And I can't believe these bosses are so nonchalant about this. Like, this 5-9 hack destroyed the economy. E-Corp was in trouble. And these bosses are just cavalier. And they're like, "Uh, I have uh, something to go to. Can you hurry this up? Yeah, well, I think the people Elliot's talking to, they don't see the big picture. They don't care. They're just there to do their jobs. This is all very boring to them. And Elliot's sort of this over-eager new employee who's got a PowerPoint presentation and is awkwardly going through why it's going to help (laughs) them. But somebody higher up, we had said, surely must see. It's a dangerous scheme to bring everything you have left into the same location. It's like somebody working their whole lives and storing all the cash they make under their mattress in one spot. Mm. If you have a fire in the house, now everything you own is gone because you put all your eggs in one basket. So Elliot keeps trying. His next meeting is with Peter, who he has no more luck with. So he hacks him. Pretty easily because Peter shows the password pretty much to him while he's typing. And his password was tap it back. (laughs) Yeah, and his secret is that his engineering team used software to help cheat emissions tests to hide how much pollution the company was creating. And this is great. This is another Sam Asmel relating to reality. I think it was last year or two years ago, Volkswagen was cheating on their emissions, and we know what they went through. Well, and Asmel was ahead of you. He tells us through Elliot, he's aware he has to keep the UPS system safe also, right? Because they're basically backup batteries that can be turned into bombs with the right malware. And even though this is a fake About the records arriving, Tyrell may believe that they are still coming there and try to go through with it anyway. So Elliot makes it so that they will only run trusted code digitally signed by E-Corp. And this ensures that he can't blow up that building. Just to dumb it down almost too much where someone listening who knows computers might say I'm wrong. But it's simply dumbed down. If you think about it, every line of code now has to wear a bracelet. Like when you go to the bar and you get a bracelet you paid to get in and you use that to get drinks and all that, basically they're walking around and they have a bracelet so the code can be trusted. When finally, Elliot has a meeting with a new boss who listens to him and wants to make a meeting with the new VP of technology to pitch his ideas. And he thinks to himself, once they start digitizing, they'll be on their way to rebuilding the database and the hack will be behind them. And plus, in the meantime, he's purging these lower-level bad employees. Like I love we this. said, we were enjoying him taking down embezzlers, harassers, so on and so forth. 
because changing the world was never about tearing them down. It's about making them better. I'm fixing it now. I'm hitting undo. And friend, it feels great. Cue titles. After all that. Yeah, and I love the false sense of security. Elliot's coming back. He's fighting. He's doing something. But as soon as we move past that title sequence... We go to the scene with Elliot sitting in his cubicle and looking around, and you can just see everything come crashing down on him at once. The euphoria is gone. I was thinking the whole time, if Elliot's doing this, is Mr. Robot undoing it at night? I'm not sure, but certainly they're watching him through Angela, right? She told Mr. Robot the only reason she was allowing this was to keep him busy. She said, why not let him do it? It'll focus his energy or channel his energy, something like that. So I don't think they're worried about it, whatever they're doing on the back end. And it's not fixing his psychological state. Okay, if I'm being real, I haven't fixed everything. The loneliness came back worse than I remember. I don't get it. I know I'm doing the right thing. You have to see that. Then what is this? Why do I feel this empty void inside? In this scene, we'll notice that Elliot's password is very long. And I'm sure there's numbers, characters, capitals, punctuations. It was frustrating me just watching him enter it. (laughs) And we also get the emoji of him crying. I thought... The acting by Rami Malek in this scene was perhaps one of the best in the whole of Mr. Robot. Strong statement. Well, I mean, it can't be easy to portray such raw emotion in front of a camera. It really looks not only A, like somebody seriously depressed and despairing, but B, like somebody that can't get a hold on their own mind, has no control anymore. And so this really prompts him. He needs to go back and see Krista. He's got to get some help. The medication is just a band-aid. It's not really fixing what's underneath. Question, and this, my knowledge about this is through movies, like Hacker from back in the day. If you go to jail for a computer crime, such as he has, I thought you weren't able to use computers or the internet afterwards, let alone work for a huge company like E-Corp doing computer security. I think they put you on probation for a certain amount of time period, but I think we're so far past that with the bigger entities that are in control of F Society, Elliot, they're, you know, they're pulling strings behind the scenes. So I don't know that it's going to follow the normal pattern of events. You could be right, though. In the next scene, we see Elliot at Krista's home office and she's working there because the landlord at her office can't pay the utilities. Another quick message about what's happening in overall society at the time. And I love Elliot's response. He doesn't know how to react to that. So he just says, nice rug. (laughs) It's this type of social awkwardness that he portrays so beautifully. It's really small, subtle things. The nuance in not quite getting other people's emotions. And even if you do, you don't know how to react. You don't know what to do with that. Like, what am I, am I supposed to say something? Am I supposed to feel bad for her? And I wish they showed us more of these types of interactions and things Elliot experiences. And also Krista reminds him it's his birthday because it seems he forgot about that. 
Elliot tells her he hasn't been talking to Darlene and that she's one of the main reasons why Mr. Robot comes out. And since he stopped talking to her, he stopped seeing him. So what do you think about that? Because Elliot says that later on as well. She is a major trigger for him. She was such a big part of his childhood. He can't help but relate her to all of that. Well, there's something that happened that day when he was pushed from the window that we still don't know. And that directly correlates with his father and his sister. So I think it's closer to that day when he's around her. Um, And then him being his birthday, which is when that happened as well. It's all a trigger for him. And I think looking at her is a reminder of that. Yeah, he says without Mr. Robot around, it's different, better for everyone. But when she pushes him, he does admit he misses being a part of something important. And that's what Mr. Robot gave to him. And then he starts telling her about this memory from childhood where there was a huge snowstorm and he and Darlene built a snowman that they called Kevin McAllister. They were going to steal their dad's camera to take a picture. Do you think that had anything to do with the confrontation he wound up having with him? No, because he said he never got a chance to. To take the picture, I think. But he might have gotten caught trying to steal the camera. Um, it's confusing because they spent a lot of time going back to what is clearly a pivotal memory, as you say, and yet not really giving us much new information. I mean, he just still tells right up until that point. We don't find out what happened between him and his father. And later on, we don't find out that much new from Darlene either, just a little bit of the backstory of what they were doing that day. Nevertheless, Krista is shocked because apparently she didn't know any of this. Elliot swears he told her before, but she says she hasn't heard the story. So what is the significance that he thinks he told her? Was the first time that he remembers having the conversation not real? Or is this time not real? Is there any Krista at all? Well, if there was before, I think you and I believe this isn't really her. And our Clatcher is also thinking that. He wrote, I don't think Elliot is really seeing the therapist. Her apartment looks very similar to Elliot's mom's house. There are way too many books, none of which have clear titles, and they are all read. It seems more like a dream sequence than reality. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. If he's home now, alone, with his thoughts, he's remembering it's his birthday because the business of the day, maybe he didn't think about it all day. And now he needs someone to talk to. He doesn't want Mr. Robot to come out. So he'll talk to his therapist. She'll remind him that it's his birthday. He'll have a good memory about building the snowman. Yeah, I mean, she, obviously Krista is a real person. She does exist or, or, you know, was his therapist at one point because we do see he had that interaction. He hacked her ex-boyfriend who comes back on scene later with his dog. So that all exists to a certain extent. But yeah, some of these times perhaps... This conversation is like the conversation he had with himself at the Red Wheelbarrow. And again, that red seeming to come up almost every single time that something is not as it seems. We tracked that last season with red lights, with the red notebook that hot Carla was burning, and now you have the red books in the therapist's office. So I think that's a constant cue we can look out for if there is a big glaring symbol like that. It's not entirely what we're being given on screen, but this is split up and we're going to come back to the therapy again later. So like we know, Mr. Robot doesn't do anything by mistake. Everything is purposeful. So why are we bringing up that day again? They haven't given us any new information about that day this episode, 
but they are talking about it a lot. So I think that's something we have to think about. Is he so clear now, he's trying to undo everything, that in his brain he's working back towards the day his brain probably broke? Yeah, it could be that if it's a straightforward type of explanation, if he's trying to confront the trauma, it's really difficult to just face that all at one time. Often if these memories are that severe and that traumatic, you don't remember all of it. It kind of becomes fragmented and you have to put the pieces back together into a logical narrative first before you can start addressing it and then gradually expose yourself until it decreases in intensity. And eventually it can become more like a regular memory. If you think of your brain like a file cabinet and every memory is stored on a sheet of paper within a folder that's labeled, that sheet of paper has a written narrative that you've attached to it. It's the words that correspond with how you remember things happening. When you want to think about the memory, you can at will open up the file cabinet, think about the topic, pull it out, have a look at the memory, put it away when you want to. With traumatic experiences, we don't encode the memories the same way. A lot of times there is not the opportunity to attach a narrative. Things happen too quickly, they're too difficult for our brain to process, and so we store them more as images and raw emotions, and they're put away without any rhyme or reason, and that means the brain can just start calling them up when we don't tell it to. That can happen in the form of flashbacks, nightmares, fragmented memories. And so we have to start trying to bring our left brain into the equation and give it that verbal narrative. And we call this reprocessing a memory. The way we can look for what makes this file sort of come up at random. You know, well, why does that happen? Why does the brain bring it up? And sometimes it at moments where it doesn't seem related to the trauma in any way. Well, the brain has made sort of loose associations to that, and there are triggers, quote-unquote. When the trigger happens, the mind connects that with the trauma, and boom, starts to call it up again. So I like that Elliot is himself mentioning triggers. Darlene is one of them. Thinking about that day when it happened, maybe building a snowman, starting to recall sort of more viscerally what it was like, the sights, the sounds, the smells might be a trigger. I was also thinking the birthday itself because anniversaries of dates are quite often triggers. But just to kind of put out something a little bit more far-fetched, could this be a false memory that's implanted in Elliot's brain? I don't see why not. Because it is a little weird, right, from what we've been seeing of the real father figure, the real Mr. Alderson and not Mr. Robot. Um, I mean, geez, what happened that he would push his own son out a window, right? And, and wasn't he already sickly at the time and seemed like they had a decent relationship when we saw them in the car together? It's sort of weird that this ever happened. Yeah, that makes sense. But you could also reverse it and say... Maybe his memory of his dad being a cool dad in the car. Was not real. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because Darlene, too, says, you know, you're not the only one that had a shitty childhood. I had it pretty rough, too. So she seems to be corroborating that it wasn't so great in their home. But anyhow, we're going to come back to that in our later two scenes. Next, we go to Let's Be Frank. Frank Cody interviews Joanna Wellick on TV. He says Scott Knowles has been facing charges for murdering his wife, Sharon. We know initially Tyrell was accused of this until Joanna says Scott confessed to it 
while beating her, and since then a bartender has come forward with this same story, and we know that's Derek, her secret boyfriend. And she admits she filed for divorce to Tyrell in a moment of weakness, but has since dismissed that petition. So this scene was interesting to me because I didn't understand where it fell into the whole Mr. Robot storyline. Mm-hmm. It felt out of place. And to be honest with you, her scenes last season kind of felt out of place too, especially when we realized that those messages to her weren't from Elliot or Tyrell. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I know we haven't gotten there, but in the scene coming up later, we see that Joanna is going to die. So what was the point of bringing her up and giving us all of that information in season two and now bringing her back on scene just to kill her off? Is this going to be all about how it impacts Tyrell? Yeah, I think so. Either that or, you know, the internet really didn't like her character last season. Hmm. And some people are saying maybe Sam Esmail heard that and just kind of wrote her off. I don't think it's that simple. Yeah, it has to do with Tyrell's psyche. We know he's imbalanced right now. We saw him in extreme anger on the precipice of cracking himself to now he's just a devout follower because he lost his will. He lost his way. So this might rock him. I was going to say, is he going to care enough that it would fracture his psyche because he doesn't seem to be losing any sleep over Joanna. Or not seeing his kid. But I Right. I think the baby is yeah. really going to be the big thing. And they know that because it's almost like they're going to be holding the baby ransom in mm. order to find him. But we get this scene kind of um, shoved into the middle of the Joanna scenes where the new F Society video is released. It doesn't really tell us much. They've hit the power players once, but it's not their last one. They're going to be coming back. We don't know what the plan is. Elliot is not running F Society right now. Darlene is not. Who is actually doing this? Who put out the video? Do you think she's right that it's the Dark Army who's taking total control and is just... Um... Yeah, I think so, because all the major players in the Dark Army aren't around. Unless, next episode, we see Leon, Trenton, and Mobley... And maybe it was them. But I was looking closely and we wound it to try to see who it was. Their mannerisms and what they look like. The ear and the hair. And I couldn't pin it. Well, they do say that the video came from the same Vimeo account that F Society used last time. We assume when Darlene was a part of this. And she writes that off by saying maybe Cisco gave the Dark Army access to that account. It's the Dark Army. They can probably find a way to get access anyways. Oh, I'm sure. A really important piece of information we learn from that scene with the FBI grilling her is that it's been six weeks since the last episode of Mr. Robot because they say for six weeks she's been giving them nothing and now this. And when they start pushing her on it, she insists Elliot's not talking to Tyrell. She says, five weeks ago, the night we lost your tail, I directly asked Elliot and he said no. So that's something you could have easily missed. Between episode 3.0 and 3.1, there's been six weeks of Darlene. Oh, yeah. Um, quote, unquote, not giving the FBI information, but being an informant for them and setting up this plan that's going to take place later on. She is what they call a CHS, a confidential human source. And her entire job is to get intel from Elliot on Tyrell because they think he's the kingpin. And she's not... I guess, doing a very good job of this. She keeps insisting that Elliot doesn't have a relationship with him until Dom finally plays her the prison call recording with Tyrell calling Elliot. Now, this was the call that Elliot got last season. Yep. 
the iconic scene with the red phone. Right. Bonsoir, Elliot. But again, I was hoping from that scene, we would see more that Tyrell said during that phone call. And we didn't. Yeah, or more of what's going on with the FBI. It's going back to kind of a minor source of frustration that I think I was feeling last season. The We seem to be getting a lot, but then when you sit back and think about the scene, it's like, well, what new yeah, did they really nothing. tell us? Not a whole heck of a lot. Okay, so now we come back to the key scene with Joanna where Mr. Sutherland, her driver slash bodyguard, stops their car in an alley on the way home because of the man that's been following them in his car who he pulls out it turns out to be Joanna's boyfriend, Derek, who is distraught and maybe drunk. I don't know. He seemed to me like he could have been a little drunk. He's freaking out that Joanna lied to him, saying he only testified because she said they would be together. And now he's threatening to tell the truth. But Sutherland warns that if he retracts the statement, he will kill him and urges him to move on because he's never going to see Joanna again. As he gets back in the car, Derek walks up to the driver's side with a gun and shoots Sutherland. I did not see this coming. Whoa. Not only that, it escalates into almost a horror drama movie. (laughs) Joanna tries to reach around front to grab Sutherland's gun, but Derek shoots her in the head. And before Sutherland can die, he shoots Derek through the front window, ending the scene with the baby alone in the car crying and blood splattered on him. Oh my God. A lot of people thought this scene was very gruesome, almost too gruesome. Whenever you have a baby in blood, it it is a little risky. I didn't see the blood on it because someone in my house loves to keep the lamp behind the couch on, which I constantly say there's a bright light in the corner of the TV screen and in dark scenes, I cannot see it. I saw it just fine. Two audio notes on this scene. On the way there in the car, there's a radio playing in the background. Somebody's talking and saying, proud to be with you since 1884 or something to that effect. Yeah, so there's 84 again, but this time 1884. And if you got that email from E Corp and you do watch that training video from E Corp, she says 1884 as well. Hmm. I don't know what to make of that. Sam Esmail knows you were born in 1984. And he's kind of, he's haunting you. I would have said so, but now why are we jumping back to 1884? What is the significance? I don't know. Very curious. Well, I know that scene was tough to watch. Luckily, the baby was okay. I thought it was worse when they went to the next one where they're doing an autopsy of Joanna. What was the point of showing them sawing through the skull bone? (laughs) They didn't just show it. It was right in your face. I don't know. I I really don't know. I thought we had accidentally switched channels and we were on some kind of medical show. (laughs) But then, of course, they zoom back and Agent Santiago says that while the shooter didn't survive, it looks like the driver will. So Mm. Sutherland's okay? Super sud. And that's where he tells Dom that they're not going to give the baby to the next of kin. They're turning him over to social services because Tyrell is the most wanted man in the world and they're going to find him. So it does sound like they're going to use the baby to threaten him and try to bring him out of hiding. Yes. So earlier in this podcast, I had brought up what's the reasoning for killing off Joanna. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's for sure not fan service because people didn't like Joanna, I never thought that, but I didn't have a reason. I think the reason is in order to push Tyrell's story forward, they have to give a reason to get him maybe out of the shadows or something. Because right now he's in a basement, literally 
and figuratively. There's nothing for him to do at this point. And if they use Joanna as a means to try to get him out, I don't think us as an audience would believe that because we'd say, you know, she was so mean to him. I think he realized he didn't really love her. He loved the idea of her and how she pushed him. But now if it's the baby that he might lose, maybe that will be enough. And I understand it from that point of view. It's just a little bizarre that they went so far into her backstory with Scott Knowles, which now kind of seems to be a little falling by the wayside. All of the hype with the paparazzi that I thought was really going to go somewhere last season. And it it all just kind of culminates this moment where she dies. So I'm a little caught off guard. And even in the middle of the autopsy, they just jump right away from that into talking about F society again. And, you know, Dom is pushing this dark army connection as she has been doing. But Santiago says another team's looking into that. Her focus needs to stay on Tyrell and F society. And he also is worried about Darlene. He has been worried about. Can they trust her? What she's saying about the video? And now he's concerned she could be a flight risk. But Dom vouches for her. And we do see Darlene saying later, in the next scene, in fact, that she's planning on skipping towns. So I think all of this is going to come back to bite Dom in the ass very soon, especially with the botched surveillance job. Not that it's <laughs> their fault, but come on. Elliot wasn't going to catch on to Darlene messing with his computer. Elliot wasn't going to catch on to anybody messing with anything technologically. Why did they think that would work? All right, so let's talk about Darlene and Elliot. She calls a meeting with him at Coney Island under the pretense of telling him that she's leaving town to go stay with a friend upstate. By the way, is that friend just code word for the safe house, or do you think she has plans to look for Trenton Mobley? I really don't know. I can't give you a definitive answer on that one. I was trying to think of a way we can bring them back into the storyline, and I thought perhaps that could be a part of it because they ran when they were afraid of the Dark Army catching on to them. Were they upstate, though? I forgot where they were. No, I can't. We're going to get yelled at. I don't remember exactly (laughs) where they were, but I just thought, period, she could be going to look for them. But the real thing she wants to know is why Elliot's been shutting her out. I was fishy about this the whole time. Last week, it wasn't that obvious that Darlene was fishing for info. I mean, we saw it, but it wasn't too blaring. But this time with Darlene saying she's leaving, the only reason why she came here wasn't about the hack. It was about the fact that it was a reason to be closer to him. And I was thinking she's using the emotional angle to try to get Elliot to open up. Oh, you thought she was playing him this whole time? See, I thought that part of it was real, that she actually does feel him pushing her away. Oh, I think it's real. And she's emotionally freaking out because she has nobody now. She doesn't have Cisco anymore, the F Society support group. I think she's feeling alone and afraid. Well, yeah, she's not good at this. So I think it is real emotion. It is real thought. But also at the same time, she is trying to see if she can get anything. And then I think she's like, I'll evaluate what I'll tell the FBI once I know what the hell's going on. Yeah, because the thing is, they've had her for six weeks and she really hasn't told them anything. So she's flipped in the sense that she's kind of playing both sides of the fence now, but she hasn't thrown Elliot under the bus. She has nothing too, except for saying that Elliot is the actual, actual kingpin. But Elliot hasn't told her much. Elliot's doing his own thing right now. Anyways, he's trying to reverse it. She's stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. Yeah, and ultimately it's him that asks her to come and stay with him because he doesn't want to be alone. Yeah, not a good person to be around, I was thinking. 
for when you don't want to be alone. But then again, I was like, the other person is Angela. That's not a good person to be around He tried either. that. Yeah. <laughs> he tried that last time. That didn't work out too well. I don't think he realized it didn't work out too well, though. Of Only course not. Although I do have questions about that. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. I want to keep with these scenes. So let's go to, while Elliot's sleeping, Darlene sneaks around his apartment and he catches her by the computer. It's very obvious. It's Mr. Robot. That it's Mr. Robot. His mannerisms, the way he's moving. And as soon as she says she's leaving, he freaks out and starts badgering her about why she came there. She realizes very quickly that he has flipped and she leaves. When you saw Darlene sneaking around, did you know she put something on his computer? I didn't know she put that mirroring program, as you're calling it, on there. I thought she was looking for information. I knew she was definitely messing around with stuff. Same thing. I I didn't think she'd be dumb enough to try to put something on the computer. Or if she was, she didn't get to it yet. But then again, she was kind of wrapping it up. She was taking a picture of them two as children with her. She was ready to leave. It was so not slick that people are saying was this kind of part of a plan. Are both Elliot and Darlene playing the FBI? No. Because we can see at the end that they sent this fake email and in effect, played Dom, and they did click on the link. What do you mean by played Dom? So I wasn't going to go there yet, but in the ending scene, when Dom returns to the apartment, she's with the man who's surveying the monitors. He tells her that Elliot sent this email to Tyrell, which only too late, Dom realizes this guy clicked on the link to the email, and it really wasn't meant for Tyrell, but for them all along. This was a way for Elliot to find their location to hack the safe house. Oh, for sure. You know what? I had a brain fart. I was thinking Dom was his sister. I sometimes mix those names. Darlene, Dom. (laughs) I mix Darlene and Angela. So for sure, he was playing Dom or playing whoever. I think he was playing, he thought he was playing his sister. I don't think he knows it's FBI behind it. I think at this point, he thinks his sister is snooping around because he's not telling her enough. Right. So the question is, was he after Darlene or the FBI with this whole situation. I think we'll learn more about that hopefully next episode. My next question with that, we might as well just wrap that scene up. Mm -hmm. Was that Mr. Robot or was that Elliot in the monitor? I'm pretty sure Mr. Robot. It just feels like the kind of move he would make. I really love, by the way, that part where Elliot goes to check his computer and finds out that Darlene had put this on there. The screensaver says, the quieter you become, the more you hear. (laughs) I like that. So Mr. Robot was right all along to be wary of Darlene. And this is why I think this whole thing was set up by him when Elliot was talking to the therapist, which we're going to get back to in just a second now. And he started saying it doesn't matter. Elliot was compromised and he didn't even see it. And he was freaking out about Darlene being there that night. He doesn't trust her and he knows this spells danger for them. So let's talk about the second therapy session because this was really interesting where Elliot goes back to Krista's office and says he wants her to talk to Mr. Robot in order to try to help them. When she tells Elliot to let him come out, give him permission, I thought Rami Malek played this brilliantly. He opened his eyes, this whole different look came across his face. Yeah, Yeah, but he didn't have the affectations down as much as he did in, I think, season two, whenever he played Mr. Robot before. He didn't have that Christian Slater swang Not right away, but that's why I thought it was good because it was as though you were seeing the transformation. And I think that's why they chose to mix the voices. Yeah, that was cool. To layer them, which gave it this really synthetic and scary sound. 
it was turning into Mr. Robot. And then when it kind of fully transforms and happens, now you're seeing Christian Slater on the screen. And boy, I think Krista bit off a little more than she could chew there. Yeah, and man, what an intense scene. This is Mr. Robot at its best. She thought she had him. She was doing pretty well with the initial back and forth, and he tested her by saying, a civilization which leaves so many of its citizens unsatisfied and drives them into revolt neither has nor deserves the prospect of a lasting existence. And she knows that's Freud. I didn't know that. That's a great Freud quote. But Mr. Robot knows what she's about. This was better when I could just come and go as I pleased. When we were whole. Now I'm seeing things that he should be seeing too. We're just getting torn apart. You need to leave us alone so I can get him back to our work. He says he doesn't think she's trying to help Elliot. She's trying to destroy Mr. Robot. And that would be the purpose of this therapy, whether or not you see that as a help to Elliot to integrate his personalities into one, which would mean the end of a separate Mr. Robot existence. And when he starts feeling threatened, that's the point where he walks up and leans in close to her. Intense. Did you notice, though, when he does, there's this moment of silence and then he says, I'm done talking to you. It's still Christian Slater, but it, I think it's Rami Malek's voice. Yeah, you said that. I wonder. And, you know, we get the heavy scoring. Hmm. And as soon as he walks back away from her, that stops. And you get Elliot sitting on the couch saying, when are we going to start? Now, this brought up some confusion for me. It seems as though Elliot didn't remember any of that happening, which would be true when an altar is coming out. You just would have kind of a fugue state, no recollection of the interactions. But he does seem like he knows what happened later on. Yeah, when he's back on the subway. That's a great question. Let's get into that in a second. I don't want to move on from this scene. So keep that question in mind. I had two questions for you in this therapist's office. One, what kind of therapy is that when you try to bring out the other personality from within? There's not really a name for it, but you are trying to understand the other sides of the personality that have split and eventually the trauma, the experience that caused them to start fracturing. Because the more information you can get about that, you can start to realize why the primary personality needed those to come out. What was the defense mechanism? What was the reasoning The person had to protect themselves using this. And if you can start to get to that in therapy, now you have a hope of bringing that back into the fold. And that's what I was saying. Elliot is not able to accept the types of ideas, motivations, ways of responding to situations that Robot does. He feels he can't do that when he's Elliot. So if the situation calls for that, Mr. Robot has to take over. Now, Krista knows about Mr. Robot. And she knows how intense he is. She knows he's Elliot's strength. Why wasn't she better prepared to deal with his intensity and the way he was speaking to her? I think she thought that she was. You know, this is the first time she's meeting him. So she's prepared for intensity. But does she exactly know what this is going to be like? This is like meeting a whole different person. person. True. And I think any time a patient confronts a therapist in that way, especially if you're by yourself... In this area where she could really be physically harmed, there's nothing she can do about that. I think she's, she's more frightened about that. And also just maybe she didn't know the severity level yeah. 
of, of how extreme this was, because now from a psychology perspective, this is going to be more difficult to get him to reintegrate that. Now to go back into your question, let's go over that scene and then I'll discuss it with you. So yeah, it's a brief one. Elliot gets on the subway. We see the yellow poster in the background. Oh, yeah. The movie poster with Will Ferrell and Judy Dench called Separation Anxiety. <laughs> I love how Mr. Robot does this all the time. And it's an image of a person with their head cut off and they are holding it in their hand, which I thought was also a plan. what's going on with Elliot. For sure. And I think Separation Anxiety, when Krista grilled him about not having Mr. Robot around, his first stock response was to say, it's better for everybody this way. But when she pushed him a little more, he said, all right, truth is I kind of miss that. Hmm. He allows me to be part of something important, some, something bigger. And that's what he can't let go of. Yeah, he misses that. He feels a void. Then he turns to us and says, what happened? Were you there? Did you stay with me or go with him? What did you see? What did he mean? We've been compromised. What was Mr. Robot talking about? He couldn't still be working with Tyrell. Stage two is down, isn't it? Why do I suddenly feel so alive? Well, now we know why he feels so alive, because he's back on the case. Mm-hmm. He feels that surge of energy when you're dealing with something dangerous. Now, you're asking me, if he didn't know, if he says, are we ready to start? Meaning he wasn't there, he didn't see Mr. Robot or hear him. There's two things, two answers I have for that. When he said, were you ready? are we ready to start? The look on Krista's face was, oh boy, you didn't remember this. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking she filled him in a little bit. That could be one. Two, if Krista's not really there, if this is all in his head. That's what I was going to say. That only makes sense if he was actually at a therapy session with Krista. who right. could recount that to him. So now go through in your head, Clatchers, that whole scene that we went through in the therapist's office, but put it inside of Elliot's head. He's talking to this. It's not third personality because it's not someone that he acts in real life, but it's a kernel of something in his brain that he's talking to, right? Trying to help himself out. He's talking to himself and basically trying to massage himself to feel better. Talking about his birthday earlier and all that stuff. We notice that he just keeps going back there at different times that are just random. And it's easier to go back to a therapist if it's just in your head. You sit down, you're like, I got to talk to this. So if that's the case, and she says, let's bring out Mr. Robot, it's his brain talking to his brain talking to Mr. Robot. Yeah, but that, that, this is what I'm telling you, that can't happen if he's experiencing dissociative identity disorder. Unless he wrote it down somewhere or he's beginning to integrate these personalities, he cannot remember something that took place while he was Mr. Robot. But if it's in his head? No, it's always in his head. It's all in his head. That's what I'm saying. They, but they're so walled off from each other that you're still kind of thinking about it like it's one experience. Well, yeah, Mr. Robot even says, it's, it's, I don't like it this way. It was a lot easier when we could work together. Now I can't warn him of what's happening meaning Dom. Right. When but, they fracture, they can't communicate with each other. Yeah. I mean, meaning Darlene and Dom. But even if it's in his head and he's talking to Mr. Robot in his brain, because it seems like Mrs. Or I said Mrs. Robot, Mr. Robot. It seems like, okay, maybe that part of his brain, the therapist part, did explain it to Elliot when he came back. So let's say that he didn't hear it. But it felt to me like Mr. Robot was saying inside of his brain, like, you got to get out. You're in my way. I've had enough of you. We're done talking to you. It felt more, he felt more like she was 
a hindrance as opposed to, I think, the way he would react if it was a therapist in the real world. Because, yeah, you can keep Elliot at bay, go to the therapist, because I'm just going to take over at night and do whatever the fuck I want anyways. If the therapist wasn't real, Mr. Robot needing to salvage his own identity and existence separately would not tell her anything that he didn't want Elliot to know. Well, no, he told her exactly what he wanted. We're compromised. So I'm going to work through this third-party part of my brain. So he wanted Elliot to know that Darlene was up to something? Yeah, because that's what he was saying. He's like, I can't warn him about what's going on. We're compromised. He can't tell him. And yet he still had to take over in order to pull off this... We don't know if that was him. I guess we have to wait and see. I'm pretty sure that it was, though. I, I'm still thinking that doesn't track. Yeah, I might be going I'm thinking way it, into yeah, I'm La think, La Land. I'm thinking I don't know. it totally doesn't track. It, it's... What you're saying only makes sense if you're able to start integrating back into one personality. And I don't think we see that happening this season. In fact, what I think we see happening is more fracturing and compartmentalization happening amongst the personalities. Elliot and Robot can now only come out at almost completely separate times. That means the brain is not communicating with itself at all. Well, it's not those two parts, but let's back up. Do you think the therapist is real? Yes. I don't know if that session really happened at her office. Or both sessions, the first one in the show and the second one? Yeah, because I mean, I guess they explained away why she's at her house, but I think that was the first tip off that something was odd. That if we're not at her office, we should be on the alert that this isn't completely what we're seeing. Right. So, yeah, if they both took place there, I would say they're both suspect. So if that's the case, you're saying it might be in his brain. No, no, I don't think that necessarily means it's all happening in his head. Because if we look back to last season, he thought he was at his mother's house. He wasn't sitting at home imagining that. He was somewhere else. He was at a prison. So there's other explanations as opposed to it just happening in his mind, like the scene of the red wheelbarrow, I think. All right, so very confusing. We'll we'll try to keep track of when we see some of those odd indicators and what it could mean. Yeah, we definitely have to move on because I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> um, this was cool, though. Back at the apartment, Elliot runs into Lenny, who we haven't seen in a while, Krista's ex, who he put in jail, and confesses he never really cared about Flipper. Gives the sick dog to Elliot. Very odd scene. I was totally confused as to why we would be bringing Lenny and Flipper back. We got a great suggestion from one of our clatchers, Metal Monkey, says that the sim she ate in season one is coming back to haunt Elliot. When he takes her to the vet, he was told she would pass it in a couple of days. Instead, she's been getting sicker and sicker since then. So he's thinking that either she didn't pass it or it had some kind of effect and it's really making her sick now. So this is kind of coming back on Elliot and the karma is landing right in his lap and he's got Flipper back now. Uh, yeah, I love that theory. I wish I remembered if the dog actually pooped it out. Yeah, I don't think I remember that happening, remember. but it's been a while, so I'm not too sure. I'm really confused. I still have dragons on my brain. But otherwise, I guess, why would we be bringing him back? But we think we saw QWERTY last episode, so... The whole family's back You together. know, yeah, we're just kind of like reuniting these pieces of Elliot's past. 
All right, Jason, we skipped over some of what I think are the most interesting parts. So the last two scenes we're going to discuss are with Philip Price and Minister Zhang. First, Philip Price gives a speech at the International Forum. Given the ripple effect of rapid global inflation, 19 of the 20 members of this International Forum have signed the 5-9 Economic Accord, making e-coin the currency by which all others will be measured. The only obstacle is the illegitimate monetary imposter that China has unofficially adopted. Bitcoin. China is weakening our economic state by not signing this accord, and the fact that they have embraced Bitcoin shows their resistance and emphatic rejection of our collective attempt to rescue the global economy. In short, ladies and gentlemen, they are declaring a currency war. Which we found out is called the G20 Summit. They only mention it on the written review, so I'm not sure where that name comes from. But they tell us 19 of 20 members have signed what they call the 5-9 Economic Accord to make ECOIN the official currency. The only problem is the imposter system, quote-unquote, that China has adopted, Bitcoin, which is ruining their attempt to rescue the global economy. In short, they are declaring a currency war. And in private, Philip demands that Zhang have his government sign the accord if he wants the UN vote to annex the Congo, which is happening in 11 days. The rest of the world needs them to embrace ECOIN before the other countries start to pull out. Now, this scene is pivotal because this is opening the rest of this season for us. This is what's going to be really important. What's going on with Price and Minister Zhang? You know, what's the real reason that White Rose, Minister Zhang, is doing all this? And also, what's Price's bottom line? Yeah, so we finally got the ultimate agreement, which we sort of knew what they were both in it for, but they really revealed their hands. Price needs Zhang to stop holding out and to switch over, stop backing Bitcoin and make ECoin the official currency so that they can fight their way out of this economic crisis they've been in. And in return, Price has secured a vote for Zhang for this UN meeting that's happening 11 days from now that will allow it to pass so they can annex the Congo. Now, we did hear very briefly, I think, in season one, about him wanting to annex the Congo, but we didn't know anything about what that meant, and we still really don't. We're going to get a tiny bit more information in a couple of minutes, but it seems Zhang still feels like he has the upper hand. Your empty threat reminds me that there's something I never shared with you. My associates found your pet employee after she smuggled out documents on the Washington Township plant. Now that I've gotten a chance to talk to her, I can see why you like her. She makes a very good companion. And those eyes of hers, I contemplated firing a bullet into each of them, but they're just so hypnotizing. Don't mistake my generosity for generosity. And that threw us... For a real loop there. Yeah. Because, A, what is Price trying to hide at the plant? I guess I thought both of them, this was a mutual thing. 
that both Zhang and Price wanted to hide whatever was going down at Washington Township. It really feels more like Price's dirty secrets. And if so, wouldn't he be glad if Zhang had Angela killed? Because then the secrets die with her. You know, why would this matter to him? So is it Angela herself that he's afraid of losing? That's what I was thinking. That's what I got out of it. And why? Why does he care about her? So we did have um, sort of a a little bit more of an out there theory on that. I guess it's been going around Reddit, but Metal Monkey also wrote in to say, what if Price is Angela's biological father? It explains a lot of things, like his interest in her in the first place. The fact that he wants to keep her in the dark but close, and the fact that it rattles him when he threatens to put a bullet into her. Um, I mean, that's a really interesting thought, but where is the basis for it? You know, like, have we seen anything that would say they're connected in this way? And if I recall, wasn't there a little sexual tension when she was working in E-Corp trying to win him over? I don't remember. Because that would get really awkward. (laughs) It's definitely an interesting theory. So yeah, we get a, a couple more sentences in the scene later where Zhang is in the car and he says he wants stage two to happen on the day of the UN vote, whether it goes their way or not. And this other guy whose name, I'm sorry, I still don't think we got, says it was only meant to be implemented if price doesn't come through. If the annex is approved, we can finally move our operations to the country's luau mind. Why would you still want to do it given the serious implications? I mean, I get the fact that if Price didn't live up to his end of the bargain, they were just going to completely take him down by going through with stage two. All of this enlisting F society through the Dark Army was a contingency for him if they didn't get what they wanted. But what operation are they moving? Why does it have to go to these mines? What's important about the specific location of the Congo that we have to go through the enormity of getting it annexed, apparently because the location itself is so important. And I don't know anything about that. So I'm going to go back to another of Metal Monkey's comments where he tells us Luau is a real place where they mine coltan for use in smartphones. But in Bitcoin, you also mine the decrypts to keep new money flowing into the system, using it as a powerful computer or bank of computer miners as you can to solve the equations that are getting harder and harder to solve. This is where money comes from on the Bitcoin network, the process of mining Bitcoin, which is why China in the real world has set up massive server farms to get as much control of the currency as possible. Just saying the mine is 50-50 real or electronic at this stage in my mind. Okay, well, the mine has definitely got to be real, right? It's a place in the Congo. That's why they yeah. have to annex the Congo. So it has to be real. Yeah, and it's not for cell phones. It's something to do with technology. It's something that White Rose needs to complete that big machine. A raw natural resource. Yes, Right, because I for think sure. they even kind of alluded to that in season one when he was talking about something being in the Congo that he was after, and I really want to go back and listen now, but I think you're right about that. So now we know what Minister Zhang is really after. This is why he partnered with Price. Now let's talk about Price, what he's really trying to get to. And we did allude to this, we knew about it, with eCoin being so important to him to gain power in the market and really have control now of the money. So do you, th- you think he wants to get something out of the mine that can be used in this machinery that's at the Washington Township plant. He says here they're going to move the whole operation there. So do you think they're going to move the machine itself, whatever they're working on, to the Luau mine? Maybe. I mean, that thing looked big. 
it it did, but I'm thinking if this is really White Rose's baby, Price knows about something being there and is trying to keep secret. So why are they so at odds? Why is he acting like this is the only thing? Is he not aware of that machine or its capabilities? Or are they just trying to take it for themselves? I'm a little lost know. here still on why they're going head to head about it. I don't think Price really knows what Minister Zhang needs mm. in the Congo. Or he knows what, probably, but not why specifically. But going back to Price and Bitcoin and eCoin, we had touched upon this, I think, last episode and the fact that Price needs eCoin to become the next mainstream means of economy so that he has full power. But before we go into eCoin, Bitcoin in real world, Metal Monkey was talking about mining for Bitcoins. Now, I learned about this two years ago, so and I didn't look it up again. He has a great point. That is true. People mine for Bitcoins. Think of it this way. And I, I heard one of the Bitcoin masters talk about this. It was so confusing. Let's see if I can give you the gist of it with the little bit that I remember. With real cash, we have our bills printed out for us. And it's done at a rate where it makes it where the dollar still holds its value while they're still putting more money into the market. If they flooded it with it, then the dollar would lose its value, right? Mm -hmm. Bitcoin was made up, it's ones and zeros. And there's this huge algorithm, there's bits hidden throughout this huge mathematical thing that I don't even understand. And two years ago, people like us if we had a powerful PC and we knew what the hell we were doing, we could mine for Bitcoins and we'd get more bits. So instead of printing it out, we find it within this algorithm. Now, this huge algorithm is set up in such a manner that eventually it runs out. As time goes along, there's less and less of them and they're harder and harder to, to get. Bitcoin at this stage in the game is actually becoming a real standard of money, which is kind of scary. So how do you maintain that then as a, a universal currency if that's going to happen? Because Bitcoins can be broken down almost exponentially. One bit, don't think of it as one dollar. Okay. The bit gains and loses value tremendously. I think one bit right now is thousands of dollars. And it could be in the future, one bit when there's no more bits to be mined could be a million dollars. You know, like... That's how it would break okay, down. Okay, so kind of like inflation with the dollar yeah. in a sense. And again, I'm giving you the dumbed down. No, that's good for me because I don't, I don't know anything about tech. And I, I'm assuming we do have quite a few listeners out there who are in my position. And a lot of this stuff just flies right over your head when there's so many confusing things happening in the episode. And then you get to this real meat yeah. and it's in about two lines. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> so yes, China and other places have huge computers now dealing with this because it's so hard now. It takes so much computer power. We can't have a PC mine it anymore. So you think, okay, maybe then the machine, what we were talking about, the particle accelerator, which just can sometimes create more sustainable methods of energy, more powerful things, maybe they have that set up there already. To, for Bitcoins? To, well, to pump the amount of energy that they would need for their server farms. No, I think, no. I think uh, White Rose has nothing to do with Bitcoins. Minister Zhang is using his politics to gain power to get access to something bigger. To forestall price. So he can get that vote that he wants. <laughs> well, yeah. 
but it has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Okay. Like he doesn't need to mine to get power for a computer so that he can mine Bitcoins. Okay. Okay. So with Bitcoins aside, I could go on for an hour how it's kind of scary that there's like strip clubs in Vegas that only take Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Going back to price and why he wants to use eCoin. If you go to eCorp online and then you go to the eCoin section, you know, it's so fun. It it acts as a real world website. They have a real introduction to eCoin. As the effects of 5.9 continue to rip through our world economy, global inflation continues to expand. In the face of this very real threat, world leaders from every country are quickly uniting behind one solution, eCoin. Over the coming months and years, the value of cash money will continue to plummet, and a new, more dependable form of currency must inevitably rise to replace it. eCoin is that currency of tomorrow, being brought to you today by your friends at eCorp. More reliable than cash, more stable than credit, and far safer than illegitimate, unregulated alternatives such as Bitcoin. eCoin truly is a new currency for a new era. eCoin will free up our economy, giving us businesses and families the vital chance they need to breathe, recover, and grow. eCoin will allow us to rebuild the banking sector, restore order to the economy, and begin looking forward, investing once more in our collective destiny. eCoin, welcome to the future of currency. Well, right there, that's his plan. He will be at the forefront of the world's economy. Yeah, well, he told us that flat out in the speech that he was giving at the G20 summit, at the International Forum, and that China's Bitcoin was the only thing standing in his way. And that's what I'm saying. It, You know, was Zhang, did he have some real investment in Bitcoin or was it just a way to block Philip Price in order to get what he wants? So as soon as he gets his UN vote passed, he says... He will retract that. He'll sign on for eCoin. And um, it does sound like he doesn't really give a shit about that. He just wants what he wants at that mine. But I guess that will remain a mystery to us, the secrets of the Washington Township plant and now the Luau mine. Now, Minister Zhang slash White Rose, we've seen him kill. We've seen her kill. There always seemed to be a method behind it. There always seemed to be reasoning and thought. Are we seeing for the first time Minister Zhang working out of pure emotion? Well, it sounds like it because his lieutenant, I'm going to keep calling him that till we know his name, is telling him there are serious implications of this. Sounds like his men thought stage two was always sort of a backup that they would not have to come to. Mm. And now he's telling them, have it go through as soon as we get our vote, no matter what. If, it, if we get it or not, really, I just want to get even. It's time Price got his hand slapped. <laughs> Jesus, and that's, more than a slap. That's, it's not even so much emotional, I guess. He is seemingly a little pissed, but mostly wants to put him in his place. Like he thought he was getting a little above himself in that meeting. This is a 50-50 deal, whereas Zhang is telling him, it's not, and this is going to happen no matter what you say. So you better take it a notch down and realize who's the person actually in power, which is me. So it's more like he's teaching him a lesson, but that's scary as well. And there were a couple of moments that we questioned from seeing in season one, White Rose, who seemed to be very methodical and calculating and not making a move 
to, in this season, seeing Minister Zhang make comments like that and also comments such as they need Elliot's unadulterated focus and rage. (laughs) But curious that this whole season we have been seeing B.D. Wong as Minister Zhang. Yeah. We have not seen him as White Rose. So I don't know that these two are completely interchangeable and that you can rely on that as we were thinking in previous seasons and they have the same kinds of personalities and character motivations. What if it is a little more separate than what we had thought? I I viewed it a little differently. I think Minister Zhang is the political part of him. And all we've been seeing this season is the politics. White Rose comes out when she's talking to the hackers, the soldiers on the ground. It's two separate parts of whatever this guy is into. Well, but so are Elliot and Mr. Robot, and they are not always so in line together. They can sometimes be at odds and have different ideas and different methods. So how do we know that that's not similar Mm. to what we're seeing there? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Whoa. Because I do find it curious that Minister Zhang is talking about stage two now. That was a white rose thing. She was the one in control of the Dark Army and bringing in Elliot and having all this monitored. But it's Zhang who says stage two is going through one way or the other. Um, And this entire time, you think we would have seen White Rose, quote unquote. Just something to think about. I think we've rambled enough. I've almost lost my own train of thought here. So let's wrap it up and get to our robot rating. So before we get to our robot rating... Let's take a minute and talk about Patreon. This weekend, as a matter of fact, two days from now, we will be recording our October bonus podcast, and we have a great podcast lined up. We'll be talking to one of our OG listeners, Lewis, who lives in Florida, about the hurricane that plowed through Florida this year. And I think it's going to be an interesting conversation just to talk about what he went through, what his family went through, and what his friends went through. And I think, one, it's exciting to talk to one of our listeners And two, he also has a podcast. So I think that's going to be a really fun conversation. We also have a bunch of other fun topics planned for that. A brief talk about the Star Talk episode we watched recently regarding humans and chimps. Do you actually know the difference between a nut, a fruit, a vegetable, a legume? It's very different than what you might be thinking. And I'm pretty sure that you don't. What we're watching, and that's a segment we've been doing on Patreon bonuses for a while, a quick run through of the different TV shows and movies that we are enjoying personally at this time. I'll give a breakdown of what I went through when our job had a live shooter drill and how much of a hero I am not. The second lady plans to promote art therapy as her platform. Really excited about that. And we are probably going to suck as we always do, at some 90s TV show theme song trivia. That and so much more will be on our bonus podcast this month. To get that podcast and over 24 hours worth of bonus content, all you have to do is sign up at patreon.com forward slash CKC podcast and be tier two to get the bonus content. Yeah, let me lay that out for you real quickly because I know there's sometimes a little bit of confusion. We have three tiers right now for CKC Patreon. At the $1 pledge level, you receive access to our exclusive community chat boards and 10% off all of our Clatcher gear. At the $5 level, you receive all of that plus one free bonus podcast per month 
And that's what we were just talking about with our fun mix of topics. And finally, at the $10 level, you receive all of that, as well as the monthly movie review podcasts. And that's another thing that you guys vote for as Patreon members. We give you the top movies out in the theaters. You guys vote on it. We go out and watch it. I eat too much popcorn. We come back and we review it. So there should be something out there for everyone. If you haven't taken a look yet, definitely go check it out and give it a try for 30 days. See what you think. We think you'll really enjoy it. And remember, it's not just about paying for content. It's also knowing that you're helping Christina and myself pay for these free podcasts and pay to make to get newer mics, a new table, new chairs, things like that, and just be part of a bigger collaborative of the Clatcher family. It's what keeps all of these many TV review podcasts free and allows Jason and I to continue doing that. So we really appreciate all of the support. And of course, if you are not able to contribute to a monthly membership, there are other ways that you can support the podcast. We have a donate button for a one-time donation on the podcast, any amount that you would want to give, as well as our Amazon banner. And that is entirely free for you. So no reason at all why everyone shouldn't do all of their shopping on Amazon by adding one extra click and going to coffeeclatchcrew.com instead of amazon.com. You click there, it'll take you right to Amazon, just like it normally does. You can do all of your regular shopping. Nothing different except that Amazon gives us a little kickback for any shopping that you do in that fashion. So the shopping you would have already been making, you would know that you're actually making Amazon pay us. That's a win-win for everybody. (laughs) Now let's go to our robot rating for episode two. On a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give 3.1 undo? And this is keeping in mind you gave an 8.9 to the first episode. I'm just going to kick it up one tiny notch, and I'm going to give it 9.0. And I gave it 9.0 last time. I'm also going up a little to a 9.2. I definitely liked it more than the season premiere. I thought it really intrigued me seeing Elliot on the inside of E-Corp and also Elliot potentially getting somewhere with these therapy sessions with Krista. And of course, you all know I've been waiting to see the Price-Zhang interaction for a while now, so I'm really happy that we got that. And on to our MVH, Most Valuable Hacker for the episode. We put up our poll that included Mr. Robot, Elliot, Darlene, and Minister Zhang. And of course, that was on Twitter at CKC Podcast. The results are in, and we have a winner. Minister Zhang with 37%. Coming in a close second was Elliot with 33%. Third, Mr. Robot with 17%. And fourth, Darlene with 13%. So thank you to everyone that voted. And I was very close to going with Minister Zhang, but I had to give it to Elliot for all the reasons I just discussed. So he's my MBH. I've had a real issue with this episode. I don't know who I want to go for. Do I go for Elliot, or was he being too naive? Do I go for Mr. Robot? Did he do enough? Do I go for Minister Zhang? Because, again, he has the upper hand. You know what? I'm going to go for Mr. Robot in this, because he was the one that was able to relay somehow to Elliot that they have been compromised. And he was the one that brought us that epic scene of Elliot a step ahead of the FBI and showing up. Oh, you're giving him credit that I don't know if he deserves because we don't know for sure he told Elliot that and we don't know for sure though we strongly suspect that was him at the end of the episode. But I like your moves. I like your style. 
Well, he did let Elliot know they're compromised. Maybe. And he's the one that caught You're You're assuming that Darlene. that didn't happen at Krista's office and Krista didn't tell him. I guess either yeah, way, but she wouldn't have Robot known told without, Krista. Exactly. But yeah, it's still... Um, it's still, I'm right, you're wrong. There's a, well, there's a lot <laughs> to uncover there, I think. But thank you. Please keep those votes coming in. We will have our new nominations up, of course, for the next episode. If you guys could retweet that poll and let your friends vote as well. Let's get this poll really going. So I'm pretty sure we got to all of our Clatcher's comments for this week. But again, a thank you to Claudio, Oren, and Metal Monkey for all of your extra information, theories, and insights. We really appreciate it. We love your enthusiasm. We love the fact that if we could, I could just see you at the end of Mr. Robot on your computer just like typing away. These were long emails. And I'm like, wow, they're doing this late at night. They need to let us know what they're feeling. And, and that, that feels like we are part of a Clatcher crew. And they're taking notes just like us. It's excellent. We're going to end this off with our top three questions for the episode as usual. Except I think we got more than that this time. Um, number one, why does Philip Price care so much about Angela? If it's only protecting the secrets from the Washington Township plant, why does he care if Zhang kills her? Will this therapy help Elliot with Mr. Robot? And is it, in fact, even taking place with Krista the therapist? Does Mr. Robot know about everything Elliot's doing at E-Corp? And if so... Why is he allowing it? Or is he? Is he actually undoing it? And where is Angela? I want to try something. We've done this with our bonus podcast and it was really fun. If you guys want to give us a theory, now keep these short, not as long as your emails. Record your voice talking to the Clatchers, what your theory is or what your question is, and email us that recording and we'll play it on the podcast. Yeah, we're going to try to limit that to one minute or less if it's a voice recording so that we can play it live. I think this will be fun. We have no synopsis for the next episode, but we do know 3.2 will be titled Legacy. Thank you, Clatchers, as always, for being a part of the crew and for listening. Let your friends know about us. Let's keep this army growing. Until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! Try again.